0: Well, welcome. Grab that coffee and head on back. We're so glad to be here with you today. Today is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, and I I love Palm Sunday because that means Easter is next week, so we are very excited about that. Today is also a special day because our oldest daughter, Alyssa, turns double digits today. She is 10 years old today. Um, I don't know what that says about my age, but she is 10 years old today, and she is so excited. She is so happy. She is so ready for 10 she, she is ready, she is full of life, and she's excited about that. Um, and so a few weeks ago, Mike and I started asking her, "Hey, so what do you want for your birthday? What, what do you want us to get you? And surprise, surprise, she had no ideas. She, she couldn't come up with anything that she wanted. Our other one, whose birthday is in a few weeks, has a big old long list. But um, Alyssa didn't know what she wanted for her birthday. And so sh- don't tell her. But Mike and I decided that we were going to um, help her redecorate her room. And so we've bought her a few things for that. And so for the last couple of weeks, I've been looking online at different kids' rooms, and I've been looking for different bedspreads and different pillows. And um, I remember walking into a friend's house a few years ago, and I noticed when I walked into her house that she had all these positive sayings around her house. So you walked into the bathroom, and it says, Hello, beautiful. You walk up the stairs, and it says, You are loved. Like, just everywhere you turn... There are these positive sayings, and so I'm thinking about that, and I'm, and I'm online thinking about Alyssa's bedroom, and I started looking for decorative pillows with words on them. Here are a few that I found: pillows that say "Be fierce," "Be be strong and confident and powerful," "Be brave," because I want that for Alyssa. As a parent, I want to instill in her confidence and 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 self worth. And so as I started to study the passage we're going to look at today, these are the things going on in my mind. I'm thinking, I want to be the best parent that I can be. I want to empower my girls to be confident and strong and brave, and I want them to be fierce. And interestingly enough, I think our passage today has something to say to this idea, So we've been in the gospel of John. We've been studying through Jesus's life and learning about his character. And we've seen him perform many miracles and, and um, teach many people. And recently, we talked about Jesus um, and his friend Lazarus. And Lazarus died. And Lazarus was a brother of Mary and Martha. And when Lazarus died, um, there was a huge crowd there mourning his death, and Jesus was not present there at his death. And interestingly enough, Martha, um, his sister, had called for Jesus, and Jesus had not come. And yet Jesus did come four days later, after Lazarus had been buried for four days and there he encountered the weeping and crying Martha and Mary, and he encountered this huge crowd crying, mourning for Lazarus who had died. And there Jesus called out to Lazarus from the grave, and he rose Lazarus from the dead in front of all these people, in front of this huge crowd. And these people looked at Jesus, And many of them knew, okay, we knew you were a teacher. We knew you had healed people. But you just rose Lazarus from the dead. They saw his power. And they saw what he could do. And word about Jesus spread like wildfire. And word about Lazarus also spread. Can you imagine the instant celebrity that Lazarus becomes. As he's walking down the street, everyone's going to know, oh, that's the guy. That's the Lazarus. Everyone's been talking to him. And so people flocked to Lazarus and asked him for his account of what happened. And so six days before the Passover, Jesus comes to Bethany near Jerusalem, and he sits down for dinner at Lazarus' house with Lazarus and Mary and Martha and this huge crowd that has gathered because not only is Jesus there but now Lazarus is there too and they they must be talking they're having dinner i wonder what they're saying i mean what are what are they discussing and so all these people came to to um, talk to Jesus and talk to Lazarus. And uh, the Pharisees, who were the teachers of the law at that time, were furious because Jesus and Lazarus were attracting so much attention that they did not want them to attract. And they planned not only to kill Jesus, but um, interestingly enough, they also planned to kill Lazarus because he was a problem. Um, He was evidence of what Jesus had done. So that's the backstory of where we're at today, and today we're going to look at John 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. It says, the next day, so after his big dinner with Lazarus, the next day the big crowd, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, and the festival meaning the Passover, it was the Passover week. They took palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is the king of israel i don't know why i say blessed do you say blessed or do you say blessed when you read that it it means happy i don't i grew up saying blessed sorry that was totally a tangent i'm like why am i saying blessed That's just what i grew up saying so you could read it either way hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. As it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. So I'd love us to imagine the scene together. There's this ginormous crowd and they're excited and they're feeding off of each other. I can't help but think of when I've gone to Seahawk Games, because that's been the largest crowd I've been a part of. And there's all this celebrating and yelling and and you know when you leave the Seahawk Stadium, it's like this mass of people, and you don't dare turn around and go the opposite direction. You just go with the flow. And so there's this big crowd there celebrating Jesus. And the historical context right now is is really significant because these are Jewish people that have come out to meet Jesus. And yet the Jewish nation was under Roman rule. So they had been conquered and, and they were being ruled by the Romans, which they did not like. And so they were waiting for a king, waiting for a Messiah. And and he had been prophesied. Um, some, People had par- prophesied about this king who would come and, and would save them. And so they were waiting for this king to come. And when La- Jesus came and raised Lazarus from the dead, and they saw that, I mean, you can imagine their thinking. You can imagine what their train of thought there. This guy is, is claiming to be the son of God. He's claiming to be king, and he can also raise people from the dead. I mean, imagine what kind of army he could gather and what power they would have if the king had the ability to raise people from the dead. I don't know if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, but I am a Lord of the Rings fan, so immediately that's where my mind went to. If, if you haven't seen it, I'll, I'll, I won't give you much of it. But um, there's, there's this big battle, and, and the good guys are way outnumbered, and they're just totally getting beat. And so King Aragorn goes, and he finds the army of the dead. And there's a picture here. The army of the dead is, is this army of... of Ancient spirits that can't be killed. And so he comes and he brings them, in, and then right at the moment where everything, all hope is lost, he comes and this army that can't be killed wins the big battle for the good guys. And I can't help but imagine, with probably less, um, more primitive graphics in their mind, but I, I can't help but imagine these people thinking, Jesus, he can have, he, he could muster an army that is invincible i mean if you can defeat death then you can conquer you can conquer rome and so i imagine this is what that they this is what they're thinking and they're cutting down palm branches and they're putting it on the road they're taking off their outer cloaks and putting it on the road as jesus goes by all of this to honor him and to praise him and then they're shouting hosanna hosanna so hosanna is an interesting word. So it's actually a borrowed word from another language. So like we have Latin words that are now English words, but they're, they have Latin roots, so the same type of thing. Um, hosanna in English is actually a Greek word. So the Greek word is hosanna. So it's just totally transliterated. And what's interesting about the Greek hosanna, that word, is that it comes from a phrase in Hebrew, which sounds a lot like Hosanna. And so really, it's originally a Hebrew phrase that was turned into a Greek word and that now is an English word. I don't know. I find, I find those kind of things cool. Um, and so in the original language in, in Hebrew, the phrase meant please save. Please save. So it was a cry for help a plea. And so Psalm 118, 25, this phrase is used. It says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And immediately following that plea for help, that plea for salvation, is God's rescue in verse 26. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. So you see the, the people on the streets were quoting, were quoting, um, Psalm 118. Lord save us. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The interesting, another interesting thing about this is that so in Hebrew, it was a cry for help. When the Greek, uh, when, when it was adopted in Greek, in Koine Greek, the usage changed. So instead of being a request for help, it was actually an exclamation of joy, an exclamation of salvation. So it meant God has saved us. God has saved us. The Messiah has come. So what they're doing here is proclaiming him as a long-expected king, the predicted Messiah that would save Israel. Well, if you know, if you know part of the story, you know that's not exactly how it all pans out, that what they expected of Jesus was a bit different. Jesus was a different kind of king than they expected. And in this passage in, in John 12 we see that Jesus was a humble king. They weren't ex- they were expecting a mighty warrior. And and Jesus was a humble king and he came in riding a donkey. That's that's success. that takes a lot of humility. To come in riding a donkey. At the time, of the, uh, riding the donkey was a symbol of peace, whereas if a foreign king were coming in as if for war or for battle, they would be riding a horse, which is a lot bigger, a lot stronger. And in doing this, he fulfills a prophecy, a prophecy, prophecy in Zechariah. It says, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. So, so Jesus is different than what they expected because he's a humble king and he's also not a huge military power. Jesus, in fact, is his whole ministry, his whole life is marked by love. It's marked by healing the sick and touching the lepers who were at that time to be untouchable. He he fed the hungry, and he taught us to love people, even our enemies, and to show mercy. The majority of his time, as we look through the Gospels, was spent with the marginalized, or the people who were the outcasts, the people who were 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 low in the society, the people who were sick, the people who were poor, the people who were not respected. And as he's entering into Jerusalem and being hailed as king, it's no different because he's surrounded by this great crowd of ordinary people, of just ordinary people coming to praise him. So let's keep reading. John 12, verse 23 so the people are seeking in him out to talk to him. And, and Jesus says this. He says, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And the son of man, that's a title referring to Jesus. So the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And when I think of glorified, I think, you know, to be praised, to be honored, to be exalted, to be lifted up. I think, what would it look like? It would look like fine clothes and fine food and a big party and public speeches. But this is not where Jesus goes with it. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Some very interesting words in there. Worth some reflection, because at first glance, you may be like, what? <laughs> um, so, so verse 24 there, it says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. To be glorified in Jesus' mind is to give yourself as a sacrifice for others. To be glorified in Jesus' mind is to be sacrificed for others' sake. And he says, if he dies, then many others will be saved and so it's in this context of self-sacrifice that then he goes to verse 25, and he says, "Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life." And at first glance, this is really confusing, and I just like to say right from the get-go, he's not talking about our self-esteem. He's not talking about um, our self-worth that we should hate ourselves. That's not what he's saying here. Jesus is speaking to our priorities, to our approach to life, to our view of temporary things versus eternal things. And so um, in that verse, life is said three times. And yet in the Greek, there are two different words for those, for the, for those references. And Micah spoke to this a few weeks ago. So the first two uh, words that are translated life, so anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world, those two life words, um, it's the Greek word suche, and suche, that's where we get our our English word um, psyche from. So it has to do with our our mind and our emotions and our will. Often that word is translated as, as the soul life, the life of our soul. And so Jesus says that word at the beginning. And then at the end, when he's speaking of eternal life, he uses the word zoe or zoe, however you want to say that word. Zoe, and that's referring to the full life found in Jesus. So what Jesus is saying here is we need to sacrifice our self-absorbed life, sacrifice our focus on ourself, our self-centeredness. We need to give that up to God, and then God will replace that with Zoe, a full life found in him, that is only um, found when it is given to us by God. So to give up our self-centeredness and that he will give us full life. And this idea of, of receiving life from God is a, a, a primary theme in John. We've we've talked about it multiple times over the course of this, um, this series. In John 1.14, it says, in him was life, that Zoe, life and that life was the light of all mankind. In John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that they may have life, that Zoe life, and have it to the full. And in John 14.6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that Zoe life. So Jesus came to offer abundant life. And yet, Ironically, to receive that abundant life, we have to lay down our natural inclination to preserve ourselves and to focus on ourselves. We have to surrender to Jesus' way of living, which is a life of sacrificial love and a love of others. As we, as we think about this sacrificing Our will and our desires, that takes a lot of courage. That's hard. And in Jesus's life, that was hard as well. Jesus was very, very courageous, and we see his courage this week of his life, this last week, Um, continuing down a few verses in John 12. This is what Jesus says He says, Now my soul is troubled. This is the beginning of the Passion Week. He knows every step he takes is one step closer to the cross. And he says, my soul is troubled. What, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. So Jesus was greatly troubled As he was anticipating the cross, while fully God, he was also fully human. So as you imagine how you might feel if you knew that was, you know, gonna happen to you that week, that's, that's how he felt, um, going into that week. And yet he was sacrificing his own wants and his own desires for, to bring life, to bring life to others. So again, you see that self-sacrificial love. And remember, this is the same guy who just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is the guy who has all power over death. He doesn't have to do this. He knows he could stop it. Um, Further down in verse um, 32, Jesus tells us why he was willing to do this. He says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. So when I'm lifted up, when I am crucified, I will do this to draw all people to himself. He's the one who said, I have come to bring them life and life to the full. So as we look at Jesus' king today, I want I want to ask, what kind of king is Jesus? We see that he is a very powerful king, that he has power over death. We see that he is a very humble king, that he came riding in on a donkey. I mean, he could have had chariots of fire. He could have had a whole host of angels. He could have had whatever he wanted, and he came in riding on a donkey. And he's a loving king who would sacrifice himself for the sake of others, and he was a very courageous king. He was brave in walking that road to the cross. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for, for us today? What does it look like to follow a king like that? Do you remember the pillows from from before? The pillows that said, be fierce and be confident, and, be strong, you know, be brave, those pillows. You know, I really like those pillows. Can I say I, I'm probably going to get those? I'm going to make sure Lissa likes them first. I'm probably going to get those. And sometimes when I look at those pillows, I kind of want to, I kind of want to stand up just a little bit taller, and I want to lift my chin up, and I want to speak a little bit louder, and I, you know, I just feel this sense of empowerment. And, and hey, you know what? I want to tell the world I am that. I am fierce, and I am confident, and I am strong. And I want to be, empower my daughter to feel the same way because when I look at those pillows sometimes I think the alternative of of not being super confident in yourself is to just be a doormat you know and, and to lack self-confidence and to be weak and I, I certainly don't want that But I believe here in this story and in the whole life of Jesus that Jesus shows us an alternate way to view ourselves. Jesus wants us, I believe, to be fierce and to be confident and to be brave, but in a different way than often our culture tells us to be. I see in Jesus a fierceness in his love for others. And I think Jesus wants us to love fiercely, to give up being self-focused and to love other people sacrificially, even when it's inconvenient, to value people and to put others' needs above our own, to be fierce in our love for others. I, I believe Jesus wants us to be confident, but he wants us to be confident in humility, which is interesting because aren't those opposites? I don't think so. To be confident in humility is to live out of a perspective that life is not all about me. It's not all about what I want and what what I desire. But instead, it's all about Jesus, that he is the king and I'm not. Even of my own life, he is the king and I'm not. In fact, I should be nothing but a lowly servant and yet the reality of, of knowing Jesus means that I'm a child of God, that I've been adopted into this divine family, that I have no ability to be a part of in and of myself. But I can be confident because he has adopted me as his daughter. I believe Jesus wants us to be courageous. He wants us to be brave. But not brave in the way that I can do anything I want and I'm just going to go for it. Brave in following him. Brave in taking the next step to self sacrificial love. You know, in the next step, even when it's hard to, to lay down our life, lay down our will and our desires to accept the life he has for us that's much richer. And, and when things get tough to continue to trust him. I believe he wants us to be strong, but not strong because we're all that. (laughs) To be strong in our faith in him, knowing that he is the king, and he is loving, and he is good, and he will always be with us. So I'm probably still going to buy those pillows. But I want to teach my girl that we need to be fierce in love. We need to be confident in humility, that we need to be brave in following Jesus and strong in our faith. So as Palm Sunday, today marks the first day of the Passion Week, the week leading up to Jesus dying on the cross on Friday and then being raised again on Sunday. And so I want us to take communion together to celebrate Jesus's his death and his self-sacrifice that, that he, um, made for us on the cross. I invite us to remember his humility. I invite us to remember his love and his courage. And then this next song, um, either on your own or as a family or with some friends, we invite you at any point in the song to take communion. There's a communion table at the back and a communion table at the front. And, and we just take the bread that represents his body and we dip it into the juice that represents his blood. And we remember his great love that led him to the cross. And the song that, that we're going to be singing during this time is Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. And at first that Hosanna meant, God, please save us. And now that word means God has saved us because he has sent Jesus. And so I invite you to sing that in, in gratitude and in celebration of him and to accept the gift of Zoe life that he gives us. Dear God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that you are the humble king who loves us, who was brave enough to sacrifice himself for us when you had almighty power at your fingertips. God, we ask that today you would help us to see you for who you are. Lord, to accept you as king, over, over the whole world, but also as king over our individual lives. And God, I pray for an opening in our hearts and in our minds as, as we think about you, that you would be our king this week and, and for our life. Lord, we thank you in Jesus. As we leave here today, as children of the Most High King, may we recognize that Jesus is king of our life. And may we walk in the way of love that Jesus demonstrated. And may what we do and what we say be a proclamation of Hosanna, God has saved us. Have a great week.